Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Oh, it's good. I love a new season, new start, new beginning. Anyone else? Love a turning of a page, fresh new book. Off we go. 2019. It's exciting, isn't it? I do love a new year. Happy New Year to you. Hope you've had a good start in the last sort of five days. Hope you're looking forward to 2019. Um, but I also know for some of you, there's been a tough season the last few months. And, and here's the good thing. When we start new seasons and new series and teaching in church, the great news is the old teaching and the old stuff we did still counts. God is still with us, not just at Christmas time, not because we finished that teaching. God is still with us in January 2019. Is that good? Yes. So if you're facing some challenges... God is with you. Your greatest gift could be when your need pushes you more in towards God and to his purposes. Remember that whole thing about going through valleys and wilderness and storms? God is with us. But new year, new season, welcome to Freedom Church. If you're new here, it's great to have you with us. If it's your first time, I hope you feel really welcome. If you've been loads of times before, it doesn't really matter because it's a new year. It's a new beginning. It's a new start. So welcome to Freedom Church. I want us to do a new teaching series today. We're starting this idea of we do real. We do real. We want to ask the question, what does a real church look like? What does an authentic, honest, real church look like? So over these next few weeks, we're going to pull that apart using some of the words from Scripture itself and ask the question, how do we be filled with the Spirit without being weird? How do we do church in a way that's accessible to everybody but still true to the Bible? How do we handle some of the challenges, the persecution of choosing to follow God? How do we live out our Christian values in a more and more secular society? With challenges in front of us as a nation, how do we as the church be clear about who we are and what we believe in? That we could be a rock in times of uncertainty in our nation at this time. How do we handle growth in a church and the growth disagreement, the pains of growth that go with that? How do we do real? I don't want us to be a church that has a nice facade, but nothing behind the front of the shop. I want us to be something which is absolutely gritty and real and honest. That when you get the layers all out of the way, you go, this is a church that loves God and loves other people. How do we do that as Freedom Church? How do we ensure that we don't just talk the talk, we actually walk the walk as well? A few years ago, we had the word of the year. I loved it. Word of the year 2016 was fake news. There's a bit of a problem with that. It's two words. It can't be the word of the year if it's two years. But fake news became the word of the year a couple of years ago. 2017, sorry. And, and it was this idea that, you know what, you can't believe anything you get told anymore. Everything is fake. We're never sure what is real. And I want us to be confident in a real God, that we reflect a real God in the way we do church. The church should be the hands and feet of God in earth. It should be something that people look at the church and they see a replication of God at work. We should be his servants, the Holy Spirit working through us to make a difference all around us. Our image should be the image of God. We are made in his image. So I want to look at using the book from um, Acts, you know, this idea that if you, were, if you were an artist and you wanted to draw a copy of the Mona Lisa, you wouldn't Google up an image, print it off on your rubbish inkjet printer, and then copy 
the copy. You would go and go and see the original in France. You would go and you would sit and you would look and you would admire the painting that was the original. In the same way in that children's stories of Chinese whispers, you know that one where they kind of the Chinese whispers, the first child starts, tells a sentence, and you pass it along, whisper it, whisper it, and eventually the end of the line, you end up with a completely different sentence, don't you? Because there's always one person that deliberately changed it in the middle, wasn't there? And I'm looking at some of you giggling right now, and you're thinking, you were that person. But the only way to find out what the answer was, what the real sentence was, was to go back to the original. To make the best copy, you must always go back to the original. If you want to know how to build a real church, we have to go back to the original. The original we can find in the Bible, in the book of Acts. You see, there are loads of great churches out there in the world today. And we can go copy a copy. We can go find someone doing a good thing and we go, ah, let's do things the same way you do them. Let's put our chairs out the same way you put your chairs out. Let's serve coffee the way you serve coffee. Let's make sure we sing the same songs you sing. Or we can go back to the original and find out what does the Bible say about the very first church? We can copy, we can read books. I mean, there are some great stuff out there. I've been to some amazing conferences. I've read some incredible books about how we do church. But nothing will ever be as good as going back to the source, going back to the original and finding what God had intended when he set up the very first church. So I want us to use the book of Acts. Acts is an incredible book. It is called the book of Acts, not the book of thoughts or the book of ideas. That wouldn't be a very successful book, but often people write books of ideas. This is a book of activities. The apostles were at work. They did stuff. The Holy Spirit was at work through them. There was activity. And if you look in Acts, we're going to cover the first two chapters this week. Acts um, chapter 1 is the moment where Jesus is with his disciples. And uh, the guy who wrote it is a guy called Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a well-known doctor. He was a very clever man. And he was paid by a, a wealthy guy called Theophilus. What a great name. Theophilus was, he paid Luke to create two books. The one he humbly named after himself, Luke. And then Luke part two is actually this book we're looking at today called Acts. And I noticed that today we've got a few copies out on the entranceway there. So you want to grab some, well, there's one here. I always say to people who are new into faith, start in the book of Luke. It's a great place to start. And then follow on the book of Acts. Luke is one of the four gospels that starts off the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And you can tell the story. He tells the story of Jesus from the birth all the way through his life, through his death and his resurrection in great detail, using sources and conversations and facts he discovered. Luke told this incredible story of Jesus and his time on earth. So then we get to Acts chapter 1. And Jesus with his disciples, he is the, the resurrected Lord Jesus. I mean, I think that's always going to be amazing. We can do communion later on. And, and Jesus had that last supper with his disciples. But I always think having breakfast on the beach with a resurrected Jesus... That's kind of more cool in some ways. Just me, I'm like going, wow, this guy was dead, but now he's alive. This guy is definitely God, and he's serving us breakfast. That's a neat moment, I think, in anyone's life, in their CV or social media opportunities. I don't know, but here we go. So here we are in Acts chapter 1, and Jesus with his disciples. And he starts telling them, you know, I'm about to go. I'm about to leave you. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He's going to empower you. And you're going to go from here. And you're going to tell people, not just in this city in Jerusalem where you know, where you, you live. I'm going to send you out to Judea, the district you live in. And then even further to Samaria, the place you don't even like. The people you don't get on with. 
to the ends of the earth. He gave them his mission. He said, I'm sending you out. I'm giving you helper. And I want, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. That's your mission. He didn't say, should you choose to accept it? He just said, that's your mission. And then he disappears. He, he goes, ascends into the heavenlies. Angels appear and the disciples go, wow, what do we do now? We spent years following this man, and this man has died. He's come back to life again as, as, as a full replication of God and man all in one, and we suddenly don't know what to do. And these 12, well, 11 guys there were then, go back to this room, their base, and they don't know what to do with themselves. So what do they do? They decide to have a leadership contest. Sound familiar? And they, but this one, they flip a coin base. They take a bit of a lottery. They choose who's going to be the next person to replace Judas. And they don't know what to do with themselves. They're kind of killing some time in Acts chapter 1. And then Acts chapter 2, they are praying together. They've just appointed their new leader to take the place of Judas, who had an unfortunate ending, shall we say. And he, they kind of have this moment where they're praying. It must be one of the most incredible prayer meetings ever held on earth. They're praying for one another, they're praying for the future, uncertain of what's going to happen. And it says in the Bible, a sound, like the sound of a strong wind comes along. And there is flames on their heads. I don't know if it was real fire or they just sensed the kind of presence of God. Or, but there's something took place. Something incredible happened. There was a moment. And they started to speak in different languages. They started to worship God, but not in their own mother tongue. And because it was festival time, there were hundreds and thousands of people outside on the street listening to this noise, going, what's going on here? I can hear my home language being spoken, but I'm miles from home. People were there from every nation and every tongue, and they could hear their words being spoken. What a moment. And some said, oh, I just think these guys must be drunk. They've had a bit too much to drink. It's festival season. And then Peter, hapless Peter, who could get nothing right. Everything he tried went a bit wrong. It was always a bit embarrassing when Peter said, I'll do that. I think, oh, no. <laughs> Peter stands up. And you can imagine the disciples going, do you remember last time when he got out of the boat? It was like, that was just awkward. Remember that when he got that sword, he tried to kill and he missed and got his ear. So, I mean, you can imagine the disciples all going to the back of the room going, oh, no, Peter's standing up. And Peter stands up. What does the Bible say in Acts chapter 2? Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit. Something's changed. Peter wasn't very good before. He had a go with his own strength, and it didn't work. He went out. Jesus sent him out, and he came back and went, oh, it doesn't seem to quite work the same way when you do it, Jesus. But now he's full of the Holy Spirit. He stands up in front of thousands of people, and he preaches his heart out like he's never done before. It was probably the best preach he's ever done. It may be the best preach anyone's ever done. Why? Because when he gave the altar call, 3,000 people go, I'm in. I mean, if you're a preacher, that's a, that's a good Sunday right there. You know, I mean, I'd love that today, especially looking at the crowd. That 3,000 people got to the front. But even better, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. And whenever I read that verse, I'm going, how do they do that? I mean, I'm going, that's quite complicated. 3,000, that's, that's a lot of baptismal kind of services and meetings and conversations and process and wet clothes and towels and 3,000 people got baptized in one day and got found into, into, into living with Christ for themselves, becoming part of his body, becoming part of his family. What a moment. The church grew from, they reckon, about 120 disciples in one day to 3,120. 
that's a good day at the office. That's amazing, isn't it? But here's the point I want to get to today and the main comment I want to make this morning. They get to Acts chapter 2. They didn't know it at that time. They were in Acts chapter 2. They were getting to about verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. What do you do with 3,000 new converts? There are about 120 of you in a group who are a bit lost because you've lost your leader. And suddenly, you just, I don't even know what the maths are, but that's a lot more people than what you started with, isn't it? That's like hundreds of percentages. That's a massive increase. Someone else geekier than me will be able to work it all out on your calculator, on your phone or something. 3,000 people turn up and you go, what do we do now? How do we do this thing that no one knew was called church? How do we build community? How do we help these new converts find faith in God, live his way every single day, and allow others to come and join us? How do we do that? Nicky Gumbel hadn't invented the Alpha Course. That wasn't available to them. What are we going to do? What it says is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. We'll put that on the screen so you better see that. And they said this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That's only five verses. But I want to say to you this morning, there are ten hallmarks that I've seen in there that point to how we do an authentic, real church community. There are 10 things when I read this, I think, yes, we must make sure we are doing those things. I regularly go back to Acts chapter 2 and go, God, are we providing a church that looks anything like the original? Are we, when we, when we align ourselves, are we even close to what may be the nearest to perfection we can get, God's original plan? And so when we look at Acts chapter 2, we have this concept of real and authentic, what does it look like? I want to put to you, there are 10 things we can learn from this bit of scripture. So if you want to write those things down, you can. We're whizzing through them to make sure we keep ourselves on track this morning with our time. Here we go. Number one, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The teaching was an important part of their community. To belong, they had to have understanding and learning. Teaching was important. I still believe in the Bible. I still believe the Word of God is real and is for us today. It may be 2,000 years old, but I think it's more relevant today than ever before. I think we, even with our modern technology and our modern thinking, the Bible has so much to say. We need to be people that preach the good news of Jesus Christ. It's still a story the world needs to hear. We need to teach it. We need to learn. We need to be unashamed about the gospel, the good news, the story. It is the power of God. When we tell the story of Jesus, it unravels. It tells people something. And we must not stop speaking. We need to be bold. Yes, we need to be relevant, but we also need to be biblical and Christ-centered in our teaching. We need to be transformational. We need to change lives. Good teaching should always change lives. When we teach from the Word of God, it should do something to our inner man, our inner person. We go, yes, I want to be more like 
Jesus. I want to be more like him. If you've been in Freedom Church for any amount of time, I hope that the teaching you've heard and interacted with has brought transformation. It's not just words. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, fellowship. It's not a word we use very much today. This idea of belonging, this idea of being part of a community, of participation. You know, it is his church. The church is his church. It's God's church. But it is a partnership between God and his Holy Spirit working through his people together. As we build community, we make a better representation of who God is. None of us has all the answers. I'm sorry if that offends some of you. None of us have all the answers. But you know, together, we still don't have all the answers. But we maybe make a better impression of who God is. There is something about community. God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was community at the beginning of Genesis. There is community when the church works well together. This idea of fellowship is so important. Jesus wants us to be a community, a family. He prepared his disciples to do that. He worked with them. He spent time with them. He spoke to them. He challenged them. He held them to account. He corrected them on some occasions. He rebuked them when necessary. You know, and here's the sad thing about the church. Our biggest challenge is not actually the scary big world out there. The challenge often is one another. How do we live out the values of God in our relationships amongst one another? How we build a sense of real Love, real brotherly love, respect and honor and kindness and generosity in community. That's a challenge to us. You know, we have to put in, as we did last year, our roots, getting our roots right to put into God and then make sure we are rooted in Christ before we start trying to do anything else. As someone said, you know, you've got to do your root work before you get the fruit work. You've got to do the roots before you get the fruits. And we want to see fruits here at Freedom Church, but it starts with putting our roots down first of all. Many of you know I'm a, I'm a bit impatient. I would love God to do everything yesterday. That'd be lovely if you wouldn't mind. But I've realized that we have to keep pace with God's plans. God's grace is the speed we have to move at. And if we run ahead of his plans, he'll just say, well, I'll, I'll wait for you just to kind of slow down. Or vice versa, unless he wants to rush ahead. And we must keep pace with God's plans as we build community and fellowships. Number two, fellowship. Number three, sharing meals. How appropriate today we have our first Sunday of the month meal together at Neil and Judith's house. Do get yourselves there. I love the fact that in this sentence, they say they're sharing in meals. And later on at the bottom there of the verse, with great joy. They share their meals with great joy. I think sharing of meals is such an important part of building community. In the family that I'm from, I'm one of six. And mealtimes were about survival. If you did not eat your food quickly, somebody else would eat your food for you. And so mealtimes, and I remember when Lottie first came to our house and we were going out together, I think she was a bit shocked when she was politely, on best behavior, you know, trying to eat all her food. And we, you know, it's kind of disappeared. And we're mainly, I'm five, five brothers and one sister. And we just like, any food just gets obliterated. And it was like the mealtime, and we would have run out the door and disappeared from the kitchen before my mum had even almost finished serving. And like, wow. Mealtimes aren't meant to be a function. They're not meant to be something you tick off a list of, yep, have my food, move on. Mealtimes are a time for relaxing, enjoying one another's company, finding out more things about each other. Mealtimes are an excuse to stop and to enjoy being with people and not just doing stuff. 
mealtimes, I believe, creates community and creates culture. And I want to encourage us, take the time to enjoy meals with one another. Take the time to enjoy, invite people around for meals. Or if that's not your thing, then go out for a meal somewhere. Go and find time. It doesn't matter the quality of the food. Just enjoy the quality of the people with you. Meal times are really important. And that includes the Lord's Supper. We can do it later on. But, you know, I believe the Lord's Supper was always meant to be a meal. It was never meant to be some kind of ritual that we did. It was meant to be, as you gather... As you get together, have meals together, remember me. Remember me. <laughs> I'm going to tell a really embarrassing story about this, true. You ready a lot for this one? <laughs> this is, I'm going to share this beautiful moment because we've got someone coming in a few weeks' time. We had this lovely moment, Peter Butt, who's a friend of ours, he's going to come and speak in a couple of weeks' time. Anyway, one time Lottie and I went to their house for a meal. True story. Can I say this story? I've started now. <laughs> And we go in their house for me, and they're a lovely older couple. They've been, they've been serving God for decades. They're all around the world, incredible ministry. Peter is a fantastic communicator. You'll love him when he comes in a few weeks. To how do we grapple with being really full of the Holy Spirit, everyday activity, and being a Holy Spirit in the marketplace, that kind of stuff. Anyway, we went to the house for a meal, and um, anyway, they poured out the wine. There was only one glass. Lottie picked up the glass and said, Cheers! <laughs> And then they went, uh, that was for communion. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was that moment. We're like, oh, and we're like meant to be like the church leaders. And we're like going, oh, you do communion before your meal. Very biblical. We've never done that before. And it was this lovely, awkward, okay then. And we did communion together. But you know what? I think actually that's more authentic to have communion together around a meal time than someone's when we do plastic thimbles. You understand what I'm saying? Communion should be very much part of our activity of stopping, pausing. Let's remember him before we rush off with the rest of our day. Sorry, Lottie, for embarrassing you once again. Once again, number four, we need to move on a bit quicker. Um, prayer. One of the most important things is we need to cultivate a devotion to prayer. If we want to be a real church, we have to be a praying church. The prayer is the engine room of church. It's the engine room of a, of a Christian life. We need to be people of prayer. Not just people who talk about prayer or kind of just think it's a good idea to pray. We must be people who get on our knees and we pray. It doesn't matter how you do it. That's what I've discovered. And that's what we got stuck on. We, oh, we've got to pray in prayer meetings. No, you can pray driving your car. You can pray when you go for a jog or for a walk. You can pray when you're taking your dog out. You can pray with your kids. You can pray when your kids are being tucked into bed. You can pray when you're making your meal times. You can pray when you have your meal times. You can pray however, whenever you want to do that. In your head, out loud, it doesn't really matter. Prayer is about a relationship with God. He just wants you to spend time with him. Whether you do that at 5 o'clock in the morning on your hands and knees, or whether you do that at 10 to midnight as you're rolling into bed, God doesn't mind. He just wants to go, could you spend some time with your Father God? I'd love to hear how you're getting on. There is no right or there is wrong. It's just, we'd love you to pray. Let's be a church that is devoted to pray. I know that Matthew and Adrian, who are helping organize our prayer teams and activity, they've got a, a meeting on the 21st. If you want to pray for the start of the new year, to pray for our church, we need all the prayer we can get. We want to be a people who are prayerful. Acts chapter 1, they, they talk about this early church being constantly united in prayer. Prayer brings us together. It was so good to the 24-7, 24-hour prayer space which Hannah and team pulled together. We want to do more of those. We offer opportunities for the church to gather and to pray together. Your kingdom come, we pray. Your will be done. It changes the spiritual atmosphere of our places when we start to pray. 
Get to work early. Pray around your friends' desks. Go pray other people's workstations. Go pray around your children. If you're in a school, go pray for your kids in your school. Go pray for your colleagues. They don't have to know you're praying for them. They could do. Don't walk around the office shabba-dabba-doing over, you know, while they're all trying to work. That might not be appropriate. But choose your moments wisely. But let's pray deliberately, intentional, consistently. Let's make sure we're people of prayer. Number five, there was a sense of awe with miracle signs and wonders. I want us to be a church that sees the Holy Spirit in a very real, tangible way. I still believe in miraculous signs and wonders. I still believe in a God that heals. I still believe in a God that brings comfort. I still believe in a God that actually moves in his power. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it happens. I don't know why, but that is part of our reality as well. We walk through the uncertainty. We walk through the disappointment, but we still say, you know what, God, I believe you heal. You know, I've, I've had my disappointments in prayer and seeing people here. I've had my disappointments, but I'm still committed, saying, God, I'm going to keep on praying. If anyone is sick, bring them to the elders, anoint them with oil. We'll pray and see God bring healing on people's lives. That wants, I want that to be our story. A hallmark of a Christian community is where the Spirit of God is moving in power through miraculous signs and wonders. Let's never say, that's what used to happen. Let's never give up and go, oh, that's how it used to work. Let's be people who expect God, who expect God to do something, to change something, to bring something new. We want to be people who are filled with his spirit, individually as a church, where we go from here, that we are clothed with power. That was the word that Jesus said, I want you to be clothed with power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. I know it, we can't always do crazy, outrageous spiritual activities on a Sunday. Sometimes, you know, it's a bit like someone described once, like having a shallow end of a swimming pool that you're still experiencing the same spirit of God. Sometimes we're just, going to, we're just going to paddle, and other times we're going to dive in the deep end, and who knows what God might do. And there are times for both. And we need to be sensitive and aware, like I just talked about, you know, going to our, ch- our school offices or our workplaces. There are times you, you actually say to people, can I pray for you? And there are times you go, you know what, I'm just going to keep this on quiet for the moment and pray sensitively, sensitively and be aware of what God is calling me to do. But I want to be a church that is always asking the question, when I go out from my home in the morning, are you praying, God, through your Holy Spirit, would you use me? Would you, would you interrupt my day? Would you give me an opportunity to have a conversation I thought I would never be able to have? Give me the wisdom to know when to be quiet and when to speak. Holy Spirit, work through us. We want to see the miracles, signs, and wonders. And I can't wait, you know, for next week I get to go and see Mercy Ships. And I believe that what they're doing is miraculous. I can't wait. On, on the last day I'm there, they have this, they have this um, worship time where they celebrate those who used to be blind that can now see. Now you might go, oh yeah, but that's, that's, that's a medical, that's science, that's cataracts being removed. There are still hundreds of people that used to be blind but now can see because of somebody who was a Christian and loved God said, I think I can see a vision of a floating hospital. And 40 years later, thousands of people have had their blind eyes opened. That's amazing. And I can't wait to celebrate people who couldn't see but now can and thank Jesus for what he's done in their lives. That's going to be a moment. We want to see God move in power in all kinds of different ways. Number six, here we go. They met together in one place. They met together in one place. They had this gathering, this time of deliberate, intentional point of gathering. Do you want the really good news? We only do it once a week. They did it every day. They met every day in the temple. Every day they went, we're going to commit to meeting every single day. We've kind of gone for the kind of Western, let's just do it once a week. That's 
that's enough, surely. I want to say to you, can you make every effort to come to church on a Sunday? Make it a priority. Our gathering is important. There is something that takes place when the people of God get together. There is something that happens when the church gathers. Whether it's in hundreds or thousands or tens or twenties, it doesn't matter. God is present when his people gather. I want to encourage you people that commit to gathering, to participating, to joining with one another, meeting together in one place. Number seven, we will love this one. They shared some things they had. Oh, no, no, it doesn't say some things. They shared everything they had. Everyone's looking for the fire exit. Can I get out of here? Everything. Wow. They shared everything they had. And I'm really looking forward to next week we talk about somebody who didn't quite share all they had. That was an awkward conversation, which we never preach about at church. But for now, just think of that for a moment. They shared everything they had. They were open-handed with all that they had. They were vulnerable and honest and real with each other. and said, this is what I need. And someone said, this is what I've got. Could we help each other? They shared everything they had. That's a real church community. And joining with that, number eight, they gave money to those in need. They were generous, verse 45. You know, nothing is authentic until it affects your wallet. Nothing is authentic until it affects your wallet. You can have all the great ideas, but until it affects your household income, until it affects what you do with your finances, then you know it's real. We can talk the talk. When someone goes, oh yes, everyone come around for a meal, but ah, could you bring some money to pay for the meal? No, no, we're going to provide the meal for everybody and we're going to use our own, we're going to be generous with what we've got and we're grateful that God has given us the ability to be able to give to others. We've got to use what we've been given and be generous with it. Nothing is authentic until it affects our wallets. And we all know it because we're all suddenly feeling slightly uncomfortable in case Sim's going to do a little subtle offering he never thought was going to happen before. Use your money, use it well. We talked loads about money last year, but it hasn't changed. We want to be a generous community. Number nine, so important. It was so good this morning, worshipping with the band this morning. You know, we've got to be people that worship and praise God. They worshipped, it said there, and they praised God. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes, and they shared their meals, and they praised God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. We've got to be people that recognize it's his church, that we keep the extended Lord Jesus in our sights, and we say, you are the one that we worship. You are the one that we're excited about. You are the one that we love. You are the one that follow. You must be our focus. It's his church, never ours. And worship does that. It realigns where we've got mistaken viewpoints. We're thinking, oh, actually, I can do this all by my own strength. No, it's through him and his strength. And I look to him for my strength. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. And I, wow, that's what we do. We draw ourselves back to realignment and going, I know where my help comes from. I know who the one I worship is. It's God who gives me everything I have. It's Jesus we worship. It's Jesus we focus. Jesus is always first. Start of the day, we need to be spending our time with him. Start of our week, spending our time with him. We give our worship to him. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We can do all of our effort. We can make all of our work. You know, we can practice and we can work things through, but it's about him and his church and his purpose. And the last thing here, number 10. They met in homes. They met in homes. That was what they did. They met in these smaller communities as well. And we do this thing in, in Freedom Church called Connect Groups. I believe that place of being known by others is so important. We're quite a large church. And when you come in here, you can actually come and you can attend for a number of weeks and not feel known. 
not feel that people know your name or know who you are. If you're not in a connect group, if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to get along, to participate in some way. So you are known by other people and you get to know other people. They met in homes. It was part of what they did. And the great thing about these five verses, these hallmarks of a Christ-centered community, after 3,000 people get gathered in one day, they operate this way. And what does God do? Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Each day, every single day, people were finding this message of Jesus, the good news, every single day. I'd love that to be our story. The people are regularly finding faith for themselves. I believe a real church is a church that is a worshipping God first kind of church. A real church is a self Less church. It's not what can I get out of this thing, but what can I put into this thing? How can I help others? A real church is a serving others and helping them to find their way back to God kind of a church. A real church is a hospital for the wounded, for those who are beaten up, for those who are sinners. It is not a museum for the saved and the sorted. It's for those who do not know God yet. A real church is one that helps others find the part they play in this great story of God. What would it look like if Freedom Church was this real, authentic church like Acts chapter 1? It carried the same hallmarks as the early church. And it starts with you and with me. To be real followers of Christ. My challenge at the start of this year is what is the part you play? What is the part you play in God's great plan called the church? What is the part that you get to play? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, maybe at the start of 2019, I would love to play the part of just knowing Jesus, of meeting him. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. If you want to find out more, speak to me or Tim who's been leading the meeting through. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus today at the start of this new year. Maybe if you're already a follower of God and it's the part you play, maybe there's a baptism service coming up on the 20th of January. You think that's my next step. I need to get myself in that baptistry pool. We'd love to baptize you on that day. And if you're part of Freedom Church, what's the part you get to play? Maybe you've been baptized and you're saved. Could you participate by opening your home up for meals? Could you invite a friend along to church? Could you share some of the stuff you've got could you be honest and ask for help because you haven't got some stuff you need? Because it needs both to play that game. Someone has a need and someone has extra. Are you willing to attend church more regularly? Or are you willing to join a connect group and, and, or open your home and say, come and be a connect group in my home? Are you willing to serve on the kids team? We need a couple more helpers, Tim mentioned earlier. What part do you get to play in our community? I love the idea of the early church. And yes, we've got to be relevant to 2019, but we must also be true to the original concept of church. What part do you get to play in God's great plan? Let's pray, shall we? Then we're going to do communion together. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.